Here's Chavinko. Lovely ball through towards Altidore. Altidore! Toronto FC's big acquisitions combine to tie the game. Josie Altidore. The Two Solid Dude Soccer Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. The award-winning soccer podcast that covers every single aspect of Canadian soccer. And now, without further ado, here's Dwayne Rollins. And welcome to the Two Saltudes Podcast. I am Dwayne Rollins here in Toronto. Kevin Laramie, he joins me, as always, in Montreal. Jonathan Tannewall, he's going to join us today from Philadelphia, where we had a bit of a media roundtable, uh, talking about sort of the TV and media rights and just sort of the future of that. And if you've ever listened to Jonathan in an interview before, it's kind of a free-flowing roundtable more than an interview. So that's what we had a little earlier today. We're going to bring Jonathan on. We ended up with one com- one question about the Philadelphia Union. Uh, Kevin and I, after that interview, are going to come back, talk a little bit about our own thoughts on media here in Toronto and some of the stuff Jonathan said but Kevin I'll say hi to you first I'm doing pretty good Dwayne it's a uh, FC Montreal just wrapped up the season you can go to uslradio.com to uh, read a great article by Tristan Amour our FC Montreal writer who uh, did the postmortem attended the press conference yesterday by Philippe Lafroy and it's going to be uh, on the upcoming USL radio this week as well but a uh, end of the season there, and it reminds us that it's a push for the playoff in MLS as well. Montreal implicated, Toronto directly implicated as well. It's going to be a battle to the finish, and I'm really getting excited now with the play of both teams, with the drug by buzz in Montreal and watching the guys in Toronto. And it's uh, really looking to be a great battle and maybe the second level, second step of that rivalry. Yeah, absolutely. The the final game of the season could decide which of those two teams finishes above the other. Montreal has two games in hand right now, or uh, a few points back. But uh, we, we also have, you know, it's still a ways to go. We still have a month and a stretch, so it's not quite into the fine-tuning playoff now, but we are definitely into the push. A lot of questions there that we'll deal with in our Canadian review. And we, of course, don't want to ignore our friends in the NASL. Big game tonight between the Ottawa Fury and the New York Cosmos. If the Fury win that game, I'm going to call it now. They're in the playoffs for sure. Uh, they may even have a chance to uh, to clinch or not clinch, but to come very close to uh, pushing away from Minnesota to win that fall championship as well. So a lot of exciting times there. If you missed it, we had a special edition last week. Uh, John Pugh, the president of the Ottawa Fury, he joined us for a long conversation that we taped on Thursday. If you missed that, if you only look for us at the start of the week, make sure you go back and listen to that. A lot of good NASL conversation there. But before we uh, before you do that, I want you to listen to Jonathan Tannenwall, which you can right after this. Billy, 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 can't you see? Sometimes your words just hypnotize me. And I just love your flashy ways. Guess that's why they're broken, you're so fake. Billy, 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 can't you see? Sometimes your words just hypnotize me. Oh. And welcome back to Saltitude's Dwayne Rollins with Kevin Laramie. Jonathan Tannenwald, our friend from Philadelphia, he joins us now on the line from down there. Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. How's it to have a baseball team that's going to make the playoffs? I don't know how that feels anymore. <laughs> well, the the last one, the last time Toronto was in the playoffs, they of course beat Philadelphia in the. I'm, World no, I'm not a Phillies fan. Okay, fair enough. Washington Nationals fan, uh, which is even worse. Yeah, the, the last the Expos are they not? <laughs> They, they've made the playoffs twice in the last four years, I believe, but they've completely choked this year. It's miserable. 
Oh, it's too bad. We hear in Toronto every 22 years, like a broken clock, playoffs are, are right down there. And it's an exciting time. I'm actually going tonight. I have tickets tonight and tomorrow for the Yankees series. So fingers crossed I get to see something special because it's been a long time. But we're not here to talk about baseball. Kevin talks about baseball on his own podcast. And you can plug that later if you want, Kevin. But uh, Jonathan from Philly.com is here. And we're going to start with some questions about the TV stuff down there. And it, MLS TV numbers are always something to get people riled up, and Jonathan covers that very closely. So just from your perspective, Jonathan, what have the numbers been like this year, and, and, and should MLS fans be satisfied with them? No, well, let's understand this first of all. MLS numbers get people riled up out of fear, not out of confidence. And they get people riled up out of fear because the people need the justification to believe that people care about the league and therefore that they care about them. Um, it frustrates me sometimes that we make uh, big controversies out of small sample sizes when on the whole, you know, the numbers were up 7% last from, from 14 to 13, they were 13 to 14. They were up 7% or so across the various networks. This year, they're going to be up way more than that because Fox Sports 1 has done a great job promoting the games They've had, for the most part, very good games this year. And uh, the last two weeks of the season, there are some flexible scheduling elements for the first time in MLS history that are going to help, I think, do, have it do even better. If, if I made you guys the offer, I said, I've got a product whose value is going to increase 7 to 10% per year and perhaps more in some years. Would you take it over the long term? I'm sure most investors would, Jonathan. Well then people need to step back sometimes and not worry about how the MLS ratings fare on the opening weekend of the NFL season when the teams that are playing, one is from Canada, and therefore even with Michael Bradley and Josie Altidore, it's been proven now that the U.S. viewers won't watch Toronto FC. The other game was Orlando, Kansas City, which when Kaka's not playing are not big TV draws. So I'm not too worried. Uh, fair enough. You, you spoke of they uh, They've been the same. Basically, I think that there's been a moderate increase with the Whitecap numbers because of their success this year. And I think that the Whitecaps have done a good job at sort of uh, coveting that Western Canada market and, and making it their own. Um, so you get that regional divide. I, I'm not 100% sure on the RDS uh, TVA numbers, Kevin. Maybe you can. Yes. Uh, well, if you go to a TVA sports, it depends. Whenever the games were misplaced on TVA sports, misplaced, uh, placed on the TVA sports too because of. Uh, uh, conflict in the schedule if uh, live games or baseball were longer. Uh, some of this did affect the ratings. RDS has a bigger reach than TVS Sports. Uh, and it's a subscription only, but not only, but you need to, it's an upgrade package to get TVS Sports and TVS Sports 2 especially. Uh, but RDS as well, uh, they're having a dip in ratings as a whole. I think it's not necessarily related to soccer, but it's related to uh, less people and more cord cutters. And I think uh, that's where MLS has MLS Live. So maybe those numbers should be included because uh, there's a bigger audience in MLS Live than their prior years. And I think it's one of the best platforms to watch MLS and watch any sports out there. It's good, but MLS has never released MLS Live numbers in my hunches because they aren't actually that big. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to, to hear you guys talk about the Canadian ratings for a couple of reasons. One is which I had been under the impression that there, the uh, 
Canadian equivalent of Nielsen, whatever it is up there. I don't know. It's not as it's not as easy to get ratings numbers as concretely as it is down here. That's something that I've heard many times from you guys and others. But also because, and this is a big question that I see going into these playoffs where we have the possibility of all three Canadian teams making it for the first time ever, Bell's contract with MLS expires after next season. Yeah, and certainly that is interesting when you combine that with the the talk that ha- that's pretty solid talk about the that I've reported about a Canadian soccer league starting again that has CFL connections, which has Bell connections because of their affiliation with that sport. TSN, of course, is owned by Bell. What does that mean there? Uh, Rogers, meanwhile, has lost a lot of its soccer coverage, whether that means that they're moving out of it. We're talking about the European stuff here or whether they'd be interested in solidifying more by jumping in and grabbing an MLS contract. These things are are all interesting. I think Rogers in many ways is better suited to to host MLS because they're, it's a regional based uh, market anyway. Uh, they have more channels, more avenues to play the games on, but the numbers typically when they have shown regional on Rogers are terrible as far as we know. And as you said, Jonathan, the numbers are harder to get up here. You basically have to rely on these on them being leaked, the books being leaked to journalists that they that certain people have trusted. Their Yahoo has a good in-source, and that's probably the best way to get them, but we don't get them consistently in any same way because they're considered to be proprietary numbers and they're hard to find. I don't buy that Rogers is the better network for MLS. And okay. I think that MLS, Bell, and Rogers all know it. Fair, fair uh, enough. Because I think that Rogers, given the opportunity to present even a replay of a hockey game, you know, we'll put now. Granted, Bell would too, but Rogers has the hockey contract, and that just swamps everything for three quarters of the year. And Bell has the Champions League. Bell has the FIFA contract. Um, half, half of it, right? Yeah, half the Premier League, as they always have. I think Bell's where you want to be. And I, I I sort of hope that, you know, maybe in the future we'll start to see Bell do some of what NBC did where they, they time the kickoff of a TFC game or a Montreal game to back onto a Premier League broadcast. That would be the ideal situation. But if you want to look at a concrete example, this past weekend, the first opening segment of both Sports Center in English and Sports 30 in French were... The interleague game, inter-team uh, preseason scrimmage of the NHL teams. Granted, that's what people want to listen to. But in the scale of importance, the playoff race in the MLS with two Canadian teams directly involved should have been overpowered. Should have overpowered the news that uh, two uh, fringe NHL players uh, fought each other in preseason. That's the type of coverage, though, that both we see across the board, not just on Bell and Rogers, across the board. That's where... Now, granted, I was in Montreal the weekend of Didier Trump's debut, and it was all over RDS. Everywhere. Even though they didn't have that game, I was kind of surprised. That was a game that TVI had, not RDS. But this is where, if I'm MLS, and I, I don't think this is going to happen... For a lot of reasons, as you guys know, but if 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 I was MLS, if I was Gary Stevenson and Larry Tiscorni, who are the two executives who work with their broadcasting deals, I would go to Bell and say, look, you've seen the commercial potential of these teams. You've seen the infrastructure that they've built up. You've seen the academies that they've had, the sponsorship deals that they have done. They have some of the best corporate sponsorship revenue in all of Major League Soccer with the Canadian teams. That's clear. And you say, look, we know you're the soccer network. 
We want to figure out a way to get you guys to invest in us, which I've heard TSN is not especially inclined to write a big check in the way that um, ESPN and Fox and Univision have. I think I've said that on here before. If I'm MLS, I go to Bell and say, what do you want? And I know what I know. If I was Bell, I know what I'd say. And I, I wonder if I know what Bell wants, although I don't know whether they care. But I think, and I've said this before to you guys, if I'm Bell, I'm saying drop the Canadian player rules. Count Canadians as domestic and we'll write you a check. Puts more players in the league for sure that way and they, they can market around that or market and, around the personality. And if I'm MLS, I do it. And I do it to box out that Canadian league and make sure that my three Canadian teams remain the big three Canadian teams and that there's no discussion or consideration down the line of those three teams exiting MLS and going to that Canadian league someday. I'm, I'm just not sure, Jonathan, that the, that at the higher levels there would be enough understanding of that kind of issue to, to make, have that kind of conversation would be my question about that. There's only one person who has to understand it, and that's Victor Mattagliani. There you go. Um, I think another important thing to move it along a little bit, the conversation, is the presentation of the league. And in the past, I think it has struggled at times in terms of especially its regional broadcasts. What I've heard about Fox Sports down there is they've done a, a great, great job of making the product look appealing, making it look good. Certainly TSN, I will give them full credit. Their studio work, uh, their their game work, their in-game work has been first rate, first class. And that helps the product along. Would you say that the same thing is happening in the United States, Jonathan? I, you know, that's a lament, been a lament forever about soccer in this country, that ESPN doesn't play enough highlights on SportsCenter and, you know, ads on, on you know, put ads for soccer on other non-soccer broadcasts. Fox advertises its MLS and even its NWSL games or its national team games or whatever. If they've got, uh, you know, Bundesliga or the FA Cup or the Champions League, they're constantly – you know, promoting their upcoming MLS games and whatnot. ESPN has fewer opportunities to do that, and ESPN will tell you that the demand is not there for them to be pushing the heck out of MLS and you know at the expense of other things. And they're right; the demand is not there for them to be pushing MLS at the expense of other things. But even so, you still like you. You know, I'll watch Sports Center in the morning, or I'll watch some of the other studio shows where they have sort of. You know, sort of rail ads for their upcoming programming that night. And I've seen when there have been midweek MLS games, I've seen ads for them or when they've, you know, been a Friday show, one of their their uh, morning studio shows down here called Mike and Mike. You guys might have heard of it. I don't know if it's simulcast up there or not. Yeah. Um, you know, on a Friday, they'll sometimes have one of those rail ads for the Sunday MLS game. If it's a big one like a Seattle Portland or something like that. It's not that ESPN doesn't care. It's that they're playing pure economics and I don't blame them. And, you know, I don't watch TSN legally down here. I've occasionally found other ways to watch it. But I wonder, you know, the place to start with TSN is, okay, when they have their Premier League and Champions League broadcasts, are they advertising their weekend MLS games during those windows? Well, okay, then that's that's a good start because then that's getting you the audience to start that you want, which is the soccer fan audience. One of the issues, sorry, one of the issues, Jonathan, with the TSN broadcast in the Premier League is they often uh, simulcast the NBC feed in particular, so you don't get a lot of in studio or it's sort of a lot of in game kind of pro- promos like you would in the United States. In fact, we hear the United States promos. They do have bumper ads that they do throw up in that time, but that would be, uh, I think, that if you had uh, 
the actual commentators or you were covering it in some other way, you might have a little bit better. But uh, the economics, as you say, just maybe aren't there to do that. I want to broaden this conversation for a second and bring it a little bit in the future. It's a very landmark time for television as a whole, which... Entities like ESPN cutting costs across the board. Things that are not getting listened to are actually getting thrown out. What is the future for MLS in that perspective? Will it find another way to... Because it's a niche. Let's not uh, lie to ourselves. It's a big niche. It's a popular niche, but it's still considered niche. It's not the top... I was going to say top four, but it's basically three, and NHL is almost a niche as well. So... How do you see the MLS and MLS coverage, not necessarily the day-to-day coverage, but uh, the perspective on the league in maybe three, four, five years from now, where TV subscription will be probably, again, way down if the trend continues? Let me interject for a moment and say that the NHL's overall media landscape presentation of itself on TV and online is awful. They got, a great, t- they got great TV deals, but their online stuff is awful anyway that's that, for another that's why MLB is going to take over for them next year exactly and I hope they do a terrific job I think they will um, with MLS I think they've positioned themselves very well and I know that um, people don't always like it when MLS is the guinea pig for things I do because I think it puts them in a good position to benefit from the relationships that I build by getting in the door with you know with Microsoft or with Google um I was disappointed that they kept MLS Live as it stands, um, you know, as a paid subscription product instead of as a. You know, ES, what what happened for those of your listeners who don't know is as part of this new TV deal, ESPN bought what are called the out of market digital rights for all of Major League Soccer's broadcasts. That's what MLS Live is, the online streaming package. ESPN bought the rights to that to do with it what it chooses. And they chose to keep MLS Live going in its current form for another year instead of bringing bringing those games onto its ESPN3 streaming platform where they would have been free of charge to anybody who has access to it with a participating internet service provider. And then, from what I gather, they would then have also done a separate subscription streaming package But you would have had a scenario where by putting those games on ESPN3, you expose them to an enormous audience of people who turn on their Apple TVs or their computers on a Saturday night and are looking for something to watch and it's there and they can just go watch it. And then those of us in the media who want to get the word, say, you know, Toronto, I I wrote, I write my Friday, you know, games to watch column in the Philadelphia Inquirer and I highlight all the MLS games that are on national TV on the weekend and then I pick a few out from Europe. Well, if you had one, you know, like Seattle-Vancouver last weekend, if that imagine if that game was on ESPN3 down here. It wasn't on national TV down here. I know it was for you guys. But imagine if that game was on ESPN3 down here and, and those of us in the media could have pointed the readers and the viewers who were interested in learning a little more about MLS. They want to see a game from elsewhere in the league. I can point them to that and say, Here's, it's easy to get to. But a pay, a pay barrier is a big barrier. I hope they go in with ESPN3 next year and make those streams free of charge. And also, as, and as regards TSN, you know, what if the... I, I, I think that Bell has at least the resources to develop the infrastructure, if not the actual infrastructure itself yet. Can MLS convince TSN to bring the out-of-market streaming rights for MLS into TSN Go 
mm-hmm. for authenticated viewers. Maybe then do a subscription package on the side as well if they want to. Can MLS convince Bell to do that as part of a new deal? It, it does with the NASL right now. They have the, the TSN Go games. Are, although they're not well promoted, they are free. Um, I agree with you that that would be the way to go to try and build the league. It's, it's one of the frustrations I think people have had here is they, they don't feel that uh, TSN has done enough to promote the rest of the league. And I would argue that Canadian fans by and large, and I'm generalizing here clearly to my listeners, there are others, there are some that, that don't fall under this description, but your general Canadian fan generally has less information on the league as a whole, less interest in the league as a whole than the general American MLS fan, and that's because they just don't simply have access to it. In the I, same way. I, I, you know, I get that, and I have some sympathy, but in a lot of ways, I don't, because the landscape at this point is such that that you should be able be able to go out and inform yourself. The resources that are there, maybe not on TSN's website per se, but the resources are there that go out and inform yourself. There are highlights packages on YouTube that are accessible all around the world that MLS produces, and they're up usually within 24 to 48 hours of every game. Um, There are ways to do it. And I, you know, it's, I think you're right, but I also think that we should blame the, blame the readers and the viewers a little bit. They got to step up. I don't think our readers or our listeners are necessarily the ones you're talking to, but yeah. No, we probably have the uh, the real identity of the new TV viewers or MLS Live subscribers, which is tech-savvy guy with his uh, smartphone that has the app, that has the alerts of the games and does watch the highlights of the rest of the league and is very informed and does listen to shows like this, which explain the existence of our show per se. And our numbers does reflect in a way that the constant growth of the league and the tech savviness of people is connected. Now, if I want to bring this conversation maybe back to uh, the actual sport, what's the goal? Is really the goal to bring soccer up to the level of the other ones or should we just continue in the same vein of growing the future of the subscriber or the listener, which is the tech-savvy 18 to 35-year-olds? I got a lot of ways to answer that question. I wasn't quite sure initially where you were going with it. Um, But I I think that the answer is, you know, Major League Soccer has always tried, sometimes too hard and it's backfired, to grow in a slow and sustainable fashion. And there are those of us who believe that now they're at a point where they can pick up the pace and open things up a little bit. But even so, um, I don't, I don't think it has to be overthought in a way. I think that organic growth is a good thing, and I think that that's the way to do it. You're not going to – you shouldn't necessarily come down from over the top onto people, you know, and give them sort of the whole thing whole hog and be done with it. You know, I I think that – I hope that – you know, it, it's a long and hard process as it has been for everybody in the U.S. and Canada for so many years to go to their friends and say, hey, no, soccer is not as bad as you think it is. Let me take you to a game. You know, that's still the number one way. But the number two way is for the media to say, look, the gap between MLS and these other leagues is not as big as you might think it is. And we're going to we're going to give MLS the respect it deserves, not more of it. Not we're not going to over glamorize it. We're not going to undercut it by constantly p- comparing it to the Premier League. But we know, and this is a loaded phrase, especially at this point in the state of Canadian soccer, we know that Major League Soccer is our league, 
and I know, Dwayne, that there are a lot of people in Canada right now who are in the core of Canadian soccer who feel that Major League Soccer is not their league, and that's a really, really big problem. Yeah, it's a, it's a problem that uh, it is, Jonathan, and it's it's a problem here. And I think there is people there are people in this country that I deal with closely that that are too dismissive of Major League Soccer and what Major League Soccer has brought. But I I also believe that Major League Soccer could grow a little bit and move up a little bit and be a little bit more aware of the Canadian issues at times. Certainly they try to, and certainly the market is important to them from a financial perspective. But it's a, and that's what that's what people see down here. You look at a, a market, markets like Philadelphia and Chicago, where the teams are vastly underperforming relative to what their fans expect, to the market size, the you know the potential fan bases, and all of that. They look at the teams in, in Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver, and they see the stadiums and the fan bases, and you know the the exposure in the newspapers, so on and so forth. They say, "Boy, we'd love to be that." Yeah, you know. that, that's down to the local markets, I think, that have done a great job at, at cultivating that local market, that local environment. It's certainly in Toronto, that's what sustained this franchise over the over the lean years was the work that was done in the early years to create a community around TFC that that I think a lot – well, I think a lot of MLS teams did emulate. I think certainly the teams like Seattle when they launched and, and other teams like even Philadelphia to a certain extent, they used yes. a lot of the model that Toronto originally built. Paul Byrne and the, and the rest of that team built back in the early days. 2006-2007. Well, I, I look at Vancouver now in particular and what they're doing and how they've captured that city. And I would love, um, you know, I don't do a lot of radio hosting, but if I had a show of my own, I would try to get on some of the folks out there to say, I, I want to know, I see how the team is doing on the field. I want to know whether it's really capturing the hearts of people because they're drawing big crowds you know, obviously the Whitecaps have been there as a brand for a long time. They're being wildly successful right now. They've got a very entertaining team. They do, contrary to some reports of popular belief, have some Canadian players playing for them. And uh, they have the potential to make a very deep playoff run to the point where I'm sure they're going to sell out their playoff games, among others. And it's going to get to the point where there's going to be some serious demand to open up that upper deck. Are they going to do it? Yeah, I Because they're getting there. Certainly in a playoff game, I, I would see that there, there's no reason not to, especially since it does does certainly appear that Vancouver will have the bye week or have one of those bye weeks and have a, a 10 days to sell that game. If, especially if, if – I understand if they don't want to do it if they play Seattle. That makes sense. They don't want to have 10,000 Sounders fans in there. But if they play Los Angeles, why not? Yeah, financially. All right, Jonathan, that's, uh, we, we did promise a question on the union and, and general MLS, so let's move it that way to, to end the conversation today. What, what's happening in Philadelphia and how can it be fixed? That's about the only way I can put that. <laughs> <laughs> There's one easy way to fix it, which is to throw Nick Sakevich out. Yeah. And I've said that many times over the years, and a lot of my readers think that I, ha- that, that I don't say it enough. Um, I'm kind of tired of saying it and the union get tired of me saying it and it does none of us any good if I keep pounding the same drum until there's a hole in both sides. Um, I think that there is some amount of discord in the union's front office that uh, may potentially lead to something major happening in the off season. But, you know, all the chips right now are in with the U.S. Open Cup and winning that game. Is it too many chips considering that they're not entirely out of the playoff race yet? I don't know. But the bigger problem, uh, I don't know if, if you guys or any of your, your listeners watched the Philadelphia-Houston game um, on 
Sunday night. Yes, there was an Eagles game, you know, that ended right before that game kicked off, but that stadium was empty, and most concerningly, the River End was empty. Yeah. And that's a really big statement about how far, how how little the team resonates with the fan base. The hell with the fact, you know, I mean, it mattered that neither of my company's newspapers staffed the game at all. You know, but as I as I I, I told people, and you can hear my phone ringing in the background because I'm in our newsroom. Um, I, I told people, you know, have they earned it? They haven't, because they have not. They they've lost so much of what they had in terms of connection with the fan base, in terms of resonance, and it it frustrates me to see that happen. Never mind the results on the field. Just the fact that this team yearn, this city yearns for a team that is even reasonably successful. And the union have so many opportunities that they just don't take. Yeah, I, there's so many analogies between the union and TFC, and even Philadelphia is a sports market, and Toronto is a sports market in many ways. If you look at it, uh, but the TFC under the days when they maybe they were doing the runs in the Voyagers' Cup, and they were using that to sort of patch over other problems in the league, and the fan base was dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. Local coverage was dropping. They, you know, Tom and Salmi, they needed him out. And eventually he did leave. And eventually it took them one other exchange to get to get it right. But I, I do think that they're in the right direction now. So you perhaps are on to something there, Jonathan. Well, it's it's and there are some analogies to Montreal, too. Although I think that in Philadelphia, the fans are slightly more inclined to back a losing team than they have historically been in Montreal. I don't just speak about that in the present. And I think it applies beyond the impact. Um the unions one of the union's biggest flaws is that they don't they don't really push themselves out there they don't do the heavy kinds of marketing that other mls teams do they expect to sort of sit back and be treated like all of the other pro teams in town but they haven't earned it and then i i look at all of the other pro teams in town and i certainly look at tfc even in the lean years you know the, the eagles and the flyers and teams like that that obviously lots of your listeners know about they market the living daylights out of themselves. You know, the Eagles are all over social media. They have ads on the subway. They have ads in the newspapers that are on the radio and the television and all that all the time. Flyers are the same. TFC, even in the lean years, Dwayne, they marketed, they were just as big a part of the MLSE marketing machine as the other teams, even when they stunk. And, you, and go ahead. I said bloody big deal. There was a lot of bloody big deals back then. Right, like right. But, but, you know, but they, but they did that work. And even the Seattle Sounders, you know, as big a deal as they are, they worked their tails off. I know the people who work in their, their communications department. They put in just as much of an effort every day as the Seahawks and the Mariners. And, and I think people sometimes don't realize just how much work that is every day to make sure that you're staying relevant and that you're in the, in the perception and that you're getting the attention that then in, in, in turn creates a fan base because it's a lot of work. Fair enough, Jonathan. Okay, we'll let you go answer that phone call now. Thanks again for your time. Jonathan Tannewell, Philly. I wish, I wish the phone call was actually for me. Unfortunately, it's not. Okay. All right. <laughs> From philly.com, you can read his work there all over uh, the goalkeeper on, uh, on Twitter. And uh, you have some other Twitter accounts if you want to flog them. Uh, go ahead. Well, the hockey fans out there can follow me at Jay Tannenwald. Um, and if there are any uh, – any basketball fans out there? Uh, I, I do write about I write about American University basketball at Pretzel underscore Logic, and uh, I actually I was the last time I was in your your uh, fair city, Dwayne, was for basketball, not for soccer. I was up for the Pan Ams, and uh, had quite a good time. Got to go into Maple Leaf Gardens for the first time in my life. I enjoyed that. 
It, well, the, as it as it now stands, it's a beautiful building, though, actually, with the renovations they did there. I hope you enjoyed that. All right, Jonathan, thanks for having us, and uh, we'll let you get on with your day. Pleasure. You're listening to the Two Solitude Sucker Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. You can reach the guys on Twitter at 24th Minute and at Kev Laramie. Email twosolitudespodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to the show on Stitcher, iTunes, Feedburner, Bay Player. Yeah, listen to the show. Now listen to us flow. Yeah, now the hospitality. That's how we do. Now back to the show. And welcome back. And thanks again to Jonathan for joining us. A lot of stuff in that conversation. Jonathan covers the TV side of things very closely. If you're interested in that kind of conversation ongoing, he's an absolute must-follow, probably the guy that gets the MLS numbers first and best the most often. So uh, certainly we recommend that. If you're not already following him, then you know I'm a bit surprised by that. But if you're not, do it now if you like that stuff. Um, Kevin and I are going to take this a little more Canadian, continue the discussion that Jonathan led us on already, and uh, talk a bit about our perspective of how MLS is covered in this country right now in the future where it might go. An interesting conversation point to start this would be the MLS Live stuff. Now, currently, I pay $15 a month for MLS Live. I choose to do it monthly rather than upfront. I don't know why I do that because it costs me more. But however, uh, that's my own stupidity. But uh, the, the question is whether I can have to do that next year and, and whether TSN might do what ESPN is trying to do or tried to do at the start of this year and and ended up not doing for a year delayed. And I can't help thinking, Kevin, that that year delay had to do with the Canadian aspect. Does MLS really want to put out MLS Live just for the subscribers in Canada? I wonder that. No, because if you're looking at the content that MLS Live is doing is directly related to MLSsoccer.com, their content that they're producing as well. And uh, the production values are very good. The quality is very high. And their budget is pretty big it's not at the level of an nfl.com per se but uh it's very good quality still and there is still about a dozen staff and it's still a lot of expenses do you think it's going to keep all that just for a canadian market when you can strip down and unfortunately it would probably mean having it directly on tsn go if canadian or just espn go it would directly change what we like about MLS Live and the coverage of MLS. So I don't know. I think that they took a delay. They're they're shy on pulling that trigger of changing it and upgrading it. But I think they might lose what uh, we consider the soul of a lot of us fans, that MLS Live subscription, condensed matches. And in Canada, because there's only one team in our each market, we have a lot of teams. It's not like we're in New York where it's three blackouts at the same time. And... Uh, in Canada, MLS Live is almost a value that you cannot get rid of. What I mean is you cannot get away with it without it if you're a fan of MLS in this country because this is where you get the most amount of coverage because our regular sports news, sports highlights don't provide us with what we want. So MLS Live has been the destination for years and I don't know what the landscape of MLS would be in Canada if that would be to change and become something even more unaccessible, I would say. 
Yeah, that that would be the worry that if they offered these games, the out of market games, they'd simply be, uh, you know, putting the stream out there for people that wanted to watch them. And that would be fine. But the, the truth be told, Kevin, is my Monday morning routine. And I know this to be true for a lot of people that watch all the stream. highlights. Yeah, it, well, the condensed highlights, the, yeah, not the, 20 the, minutes, the, condensed, yeah. the 20 minute game. And, and to me, that is the most valuable thing MLS Live does right now, because it gives you a greater feeling for for the game and how the flow went and things like that than simple highlight packages do, which just show you, you know, a save and two goals or whatever, right? Like that's that's going to show you the, the, the very biggest plays, but it's not going to give you an ideal feeling for the game. And I think that that would be a real loss to lose that. And when TSN Go, if they were offering this as a free add-on, um, a value add to their service, would they be doing the same thing? Only, uh, only if it was still being produced in MLS. If MLS just handed it to them and said, this is yours to use as you want, then sure, why not? But otherwise, it's a little hard to see them doing that. And so you kind of wonder, you know, that's why when this was starting to happen, where they were talking about ESPN3 showing these games, that uh, that I, I, as a Canadian, was a little bit concerned of what that would mean to me. That said, Kevin, Jonathan sort of hit on it. If there's a, like, I don't, we don't know what the sub levels are in Canada, but I would be stunned if there were more than 5,000 total subscribers to MLS Live in Canada. Really, that that low? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> because Absolutely. Uh, yes, you might say because I'm in the bubble, but everyone I know that follows the MLS product has an MLS Live subscription. Uh, granted, it might be in the 500 that I'm aware of, but still, if I extrapolate, maybe my sample size is biased again because I'm in the bubble. But it's it's hard for me to comprehend that there's only five or maximum maybe ten thousand in the country when. I know that some of the viewership on TV for the Canadian games almost equal or sometimes surpasses what the national broadcasts do get in the U.S. So uh, I'm still surprised that uh, there's a technology barrier still. Yeah, I mean, I think about, you know, I watch games in three different places. I watch some of them in the press box. I watched some of them in section 115 at BMO Field, which is in the supporters section, but not within the most rowdiest area of the supporters section. And I watched some games in 113, which is right in the middle of it, right? And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think about what the MLS live subscriber base in each of those areas would be. Forget the press box for a second. Everyone out there has it because it's part of their job. But in 115, which are engaged fans that really care about TFC and are part of the TFC community, I would be just through happenstance and just through anecdotally, I know that less than 10% of those people would have MLS Live. They might, one or two of them in the entire section, I can think of a couple, but by and large, the vast majority of fans that stand in that engaged section don't, even though these are people that go to every TFC game, that follow TFC news, but they're just not interested, nor do they have time to follow MLS Live or MLS beyond that. In 113, the level's probably a little bit higher, but I'd still say it's probably only 50%. And that's my experience with it. And it has to do with it has to do with accessibility to a certain extent, but it also has to do with just ease of interest, ease of accessibility. You still have to go log into your computer or lo- or get a data plan on your phone that allows you to watch it then that or your device, right? And that's something that a lot of people just aren't willing to take that step. I know cord cutters love to talk about cord cutting and things like that, but the reality is the vast majority of people still want to consume media on their couch with a clicker. 
No, absolutely. Uh, this brings us to maybe the other part of the conversation that you uh, wanted to talk about. Uh, next year, it's going to be the renewal for rights for MLS on TV in Canada. And I don't know where that leaves Bell, Rogers, Kojiko, whoever, maybe uh, another type of channels with the possibility of having the rights or not renewing or uh, what is your thought on that with maybe a Canadian league eventually coming to the fold with the CFL, Bell and different partnerships that already do exist? Where's your love for Eastlink? Sorry, that's... <laughs> no, exactly. Eastlink, I don't know, uh, Videotron. And... Eastlink yeah, would be well, the... Videotron, they're, they're not going to be an MLS team in Quebec City, so forget yeah. about that. Yeah, there's the third biggest cable company in the country is Eastlink and no one knows who they are, so that tells you a little bit about our cable. But at any rate... There's a drop-off. Um, who's going to get Jonathan pointed out to, and I think TSN does it. I want to separate before we get into this conversation and be clear about this. I'm separating the in-studio work, the analyst work, like the work that the people on the ground do your Christian Jacks versus your James Sharman's to use, you know, two direct comparisons here. We're not talking about that. I think they both do a good job on that and they both have great experts. They have people we sometimes maybe disagree with, but they, it's by and large, the studio work is great. I think on you mean both the production values and the fact that, uh, not necessarily a sideline reporter, in-game intervention, stuff like this you mean more. Yeah, well, I couldn't care too whatever is about sideline reporters. There's never been a useful sideline you know, interview in the history of sport, but at any rate. Maybe to receive a ball by the head or sometimes from time to time if you look at NFL. <laughs> There's a great meme of Pamela Wall. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, it, I don't. Yeah, it's this this access over content is what that is. But at any rate. Um, no, I'm talking about just sort of how they deliver the product and whether what they do with the product and how they promote the product because by and large, I think that the quality in the studio, as I said, is equal. The production value, I think, is a little bit higher by TSN generally because – but then again, that might not be a fair comparison because most of Sportsnet's um, productions are regional. So just by that nature, a national production is probably going to have higher production rates than a regional production, right? So if, if Sportsnet had national productions, then you could then draw the comparison that their production value would probably get up a little bit higher. So all we can really point to is how they handle the sport and what they would do with it. And the fear that I have with TSN, I'm seeing it already with their coverage of the Champions League. And we saw it in this last week. They have – they are, quote, unquote, the exclusive home to the Champions League in Canada right now. Now, that caused a lot of consternation within the, the soccer community in the last week because that's not true. Uh, they <laughs> Well, they, technically it is, but they are the there's an asterisk rights. with five definitions behind, beneath it. Yeah, they are the exclusive rights holder to the Champions League. That doesn't mean they are the only place you can watch it because they have sub-license. So this would be my worry with MLS. What would they do with the product? Would they, If they've got third-party rights and they chose not to show it free, would they maybe sub-license it to, to be in sport, for instance? It's just where they put a lot of their sport or a lot of their um, Champions League product, including the biggest games. Barcelona was on it. Bayern Munich was on it. Uh, they showed in the Europa League, Liverpool was on it. So they not only did TSN sub-license games out to, to be in, they, they sub-licensed the biggest draws out to be in, which you can understand why BN is doing that. They're trying to bring up their subscription base by having these big teams there and the only place you could watch it. But you don't really quite get what TSN's thinking there. And it makes me question. Well, it's only for the beginning of the season, though. It's a tease. It's a tease. And eventually, you know, it's going to be the Sunderland versus uh, uh, Norwich on being. Norwich, the English people will, will not like your pronunciation. There. Norwich, Norwich, I don't know. <laughs> Trust me, they get very, very particular about that one. But, Norwich. Uh, Norwich, yeah. <laughs> you got to say it quick. I say fine. Yeah. 
there you go. Um, yeah, well, it hasn't really countered over into their Premier League coverage yet, but the Champions League coverage certainly has been interesting so far. And I maintain the second TSN got the rights that, although again, and this has nothing to do with Jason DeVos or Christian Jack or any of the guys in the studio. This is not a criticism of them. Or Luke Wildman. Come on, get a listen. Or Luke Wildman, the work that they do. Although I, did, I do miss the podcast, guys. I don't know why you stopped that. Um that's not a criticism of them, but I do wonder what's going to happen when when the Champions League group of 16 is up against the Briar. Because I know what draws bigger numbers, even though we love the Champions League and it is a good product and it's probably their best drawing product of all their soccer products, they're still going to put the Briar on first and they're probably going to pump those games off. And that is going to be where, you know, this, you, you know what hits the fan when it comes to TSN's handling of this. And that's what I was saying to Jonathan when I was t- saying that Sportsnet might be a better home because I think Sportsnet has shown, from my perspective anyway, throughout its history, a greater inclination to putting soccer on a network. Even if it might not be an air- over-the-air network that you like, it's still not a, a specialty channel like BN. They have never subcontracted off. They may put some games at Sportsnet World, but that was their own product. And generally, it was really niche stuff that they moved over there that I can't really argue with, like the Canadian Championship. And I, they, But even when they put the Canadian Championship on there, what did Sportsnet do? They also made it free online. Oh, yeah, for sure. But what I'm worried, that was pre-NHL contract with Sportsnet and... Uh, Rogers. What I'm worried now is Rogers, since that signing of the contract with the NHL, hasn't renewed the big contract licenses they had outside of hockey. If you look at how UFC was dropped by Rogers and Sportsnet in Canada. If you're looking at as well um, uh, Champions League, which used to be on Sportsnet, and when the contract wasn't renewed and their bid was basically just to save face and was not even intended to be a winning bid for the renewal of the rights. So that's where I'm a little worried because if the trend continues, I don't think Rogers or Sportsnet are going to basically put a really a, a bid with a good intention to, to get the rights for MLS because of the amount of money they have committed with the NHL contract. Yeah, yeah, and the NHL contract lost the money in the first year too. Well, I, it's I don't still losing it, money. Yeah, it was an outrageous amount of money they paid for it. And, and I, I, don't, I don't want to talk about hockey here, but I don't think they ever followed through on what they promised Canadians either when it comes to that. I was expecting oh, exactly. this cornucopia of games every day, but it really was not that much more than what I was used to before. Maybe it's actually less. I, used to, I, I missed the actual original game center. Yeah, the well, uh, the only difference I saw in the NHL contract last year in terms of my accessibility was the Sunday game. Actually, sorry, that's a lie. They had a, a one day of the week where they showed an out of market, like an all U.S. matchup every week, so a game of the week there, and they had that Sunday night thing that they showed. So there were two national broadcast Canadian games of the week on Saturday and Sunday. That's the only real difference between the two contracts, and I think that's one of the reasons why it failed. But that's way too much hockey talk for that. Um, yeah, when it comes down to that, you're absolutely right. They didn't get the Champions League back. This was a product they held for years, and it had for uh, for decades. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely had to do with with likely. I mean, I shouldn't say absolutely because I don't know for sure. But but same for UFC because UFC was the home. They were built with sports and in Canada for years before they were even popular in the mainstream. Yes, the heyday is gone for MMA, but it was built by sports in Canada with Joe Ferraro and all that history. And they just moved on without even hesitating because of that NHL contract. Yeah, so that that does beg the question. So yeah, I do see both sides of that coin. I think I already illustrated my concern with TSN. My my um, strong my what I believe the strength of TSN is is I think that they have 
shown some inclination to making soccer a product that they value. But I just wonder whether that value follows through in the end when program managers that maybe not aren't in that bubble that you spoke of a minute ago, Kevin, mm-hmm. are making decisions. Um, the demographic of soccer skews younger. Uh, than the typical TSN bracket, I would assume, right? There's when yeah. you're talking about a curling being one of their major products. And if you listen to my other show, you know that I enjoy curling and have watched some already this year. So it's not that I have a complaint about curling being on TV, but well, you're right. The curling CFL type of audience, which are similar is, compared to MLS, and yeah, it's older. And I would guess that amongst the that the sub um, culture of people that like MLS and curling is about me and seven people. So there's not a lot of crossover there. So when you have program de- people making program decisions that maybe come more from that higher-end demographic that are a little bit older, a lot older in some cases, they may not see soccer as this great value that's going to drive them forward in the same way, and they may not prioritize it as much as these um, you know, CFL and curling being the two big products that have held and maintained on TSN for years, so they're going to get better coverage that way. And I do worry about that and do worry about what that will mean to Champions League, let alone MLS, which gets much smaller numbers. Not to forget as well sponsorship money, Dwayne. Advertisers. Advertisers in Canada. The big uh, potash company in Saskatchewan, in, in uh, the prairies. The big uh, companies of machinery that does sponsor CFL and curling by the millions of dollars every year to have those shows on TSN, MLS doesn't have that yet. Yes, Adidas is big and a big sponsor, but not to the extent as uh, those uh, companies I mentioned in Canada. Yeah, I remember when the uh, Grey Cup was in Toronto last and I was down West there. West Jet was a, was a sponsor in Toronto. Well, I was going to go one step even further than that, that uh, one of the uh, West Jets beginning, they're actually flying to Europe now, so they're getting more of a national carrier. But well, I uh, remember, like, uh, sorry for interrupt, but in the B Cup Grey in Montreal 2000, West Jet was not even flying in Montreal, but it was a sponsor. Yeah, well, that's what, yeah. In Toronto, I remember wandering around in the party area and seeing the official tractor of the CFL and thinking to myself, this is not a product that is marketed to this market. There's not not a lot of needs for official tractors in the city of Toronto. You may not understand <laughs> that. They also steal, which is a like a, like a uh, tool company, basically. Yeah. They, they're a major sponsor of the CFL, and you're not going to see a, you know, steel sponsoring MLS this week, right? Like, it's a different kind of market that TSN understands and has worked towards for a while. And, and you know, soccer is kind of a, a square, like that round peg square hole kind of situation with that network. But I do think that said that they do have enough understanding. These are smart people that have made a lot of money in life that this is a market that they can make their own and it has a potential for growth. You know, insert your joke here about uh, soccer being the sport of the future since 1970, but that's <laughs> But it's what true, though. If you're looking at the stats and the demographic, it's the sport that slowly people, the 1835 will become the the 45-60 age bracket and the people that love soccer. It's just a transition phase that we seem to be since the 70s. All right. Fair enough. Uh, this is a topic that's never ending. Uh, we'll obviously maybe touch back on it when the when the contracts wrap up, but I think we'll wrap it up for today. Come back after this quick break, Kevin, with the Canadian Review. We are playing a full professional team, and most of our players, I think we have four professional players, all the rest have to go to work like I do, like you do, Madhu. And everybody in the whole world wants to tip their hats off to the Jaguars for a wonderful, a great, great job. A sacrifice, my boy. Yes, back inside again. It's partial breaking up there. Picked up there. Put it on channel five. Mad boy. 
All those live streaming audience out there. Man, you're getting it live from Channel 5. You can't complain. Back inside the game. And ladies and gentlemen, here comes Nakajima. In honor of Mad Bull and Maestro, get your Team Benny's t-shirt, the number one store. Canadian Soccer News for all the details. Or maybe you're more a Phillips Baker type of guy. Well, Canadian Soccer News for all the details. Or teespring.com. The 20-year-old Mido, who Mad Bull is, Mad Bull is a shooter. Mad Bull, you would have shot that man even if you were way deep in the deep ocean. Yes, back inside the game. It was not the duel saved once again by the grace of the Almighty God. One to nothing, please. The Canadian Review on the Two Solitude Soccer Podcast. And welcome back. You want to start talking about Cascadia, Kevin? Yeah, well, we, we, we can. The Seattle claim that famous or infamous Cascadia Cup uh, beat Portland and Vancouver, which really, uh, you have to see the image. If I'm not mistaken, it was, uh, I'm blanking out right now, but it's someone we both follow on Twitter. It wasn't Ben Massey, but then somebody else from Vancouver that had to give the Cascadia Cup to Seattle. Uh, It was, again, feel bad for the gentleman, but it was a descriptive it explained the story pretty much in that one picture. I don't – okay. I will fully admit that I don't get the Cascadia Cup and I think that's probably its charm to the people that do get it is that people like me don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. It has no resonance to, to anyone outside of the region that it's in. To be honest, it, you don't get the Trillium Cup either. Well, the Trillium Cup was never organic. The Cascadia sure. Cup, I will understand, was organic. Um, I – yeah, it, it for those I don't know does anyone not know what it is that's listening to us probably not but uh, you know for those who don't know it's a you know match cup that the supporters have uh, have created out there between the three Cascadia teams and Cascadia is a region that no one other than soccer fans knows about which is the Northwest but at any rate um, yeah it's a part of Pacific Northwest basically. What I always said to people out there when I talk about this, and it's the same with the Voyager's Cup, but the Voyager's Cup's more controversial to people because it does have the CCL berth attached to it, so there is a legitimate thing that you can point to. But the bottom line is your team is never defined by the – or your season is never defined by these cups. As much as the, the teams and the players will play it up and will give a little fan service to them, you know, it's not what their goal is at the end of the year, and anyone who thinks otherwise is, is deluding themselves. No one starts the year you know, dreaming of winning this Cascadia Cup no one starts a year dreaming of winning the Voyager's Cup. It's just something that happens during the day and then you move on from it. Um, so, you know, I don't think Vancouver fans are crying too much about the fact that they, you know, lost that beyond the hardest of the hardcore uh, because they have a playoff push to look towards. And they, that's the more um, problematic thing about that game is the fact that now, if you look at the standings out there, it is Vancouver 48th, still on top, still a brilliant season. That's not kid ourselves but behind them Dallas 47 LA 47 Seattle now on 45 they could have put the nail in Seattle's coffin but they didn't Kansas City at 44 that 44 points is the number that they have to get ahead to make sure that they're hosting a playoff game a lot to play for still a lot more to play for than a, than a trophy no matter how much it matters to your your biggest and hardest core of hardest fans yeah they're, they're very well on their way for hosting a playoff game just that one round by would really be beneficial for a team that, yeah, we're going to 
I hit the nail of the turf again, but still, uh, that one week bye would be beneficial for a team like Vancouver. And hopefully, they can continue and don't let that uh, last game trend continue forward and get back to their winning ways and get back to actually scoring goals, which led to them be able to win great. And their defense was better. I don't know what's wrong lately. I don't follow the team day by day. I couldn't explain to you. We can uh, maybe listen to our from the back line friends of the show to really pinpoint the maybe the deficiencies in the defense because it was one of the best defense in the league in the first half of the season. Well, three quarters of the season, if you're looking at David Ustad and the amount of clean sheet they do get. Yeah, well, it was still the best defense in the league a week and a half ago when I After, won a team. Yeah, one result. I know it's just one result, but still. Yeah. It's a three-nothing result. Yeah, I won a T-shirt by knowing that here in Toronto, which amuses me. But at any rate, um, look, like I said, it, it's the, the, the biggest problem with that loss is, is not what, you know, symbolically it it prevented them from winning but rather you know literally what it it put back in play which is now seattle suddenly out of the blue are only three points back of first overall in the west and that's something that we didn't see coming a few weeks ago and if we uh, had a cascadia focused podcast we'd be talking a lot more about right now but certainly a big win there let's talk about another big win uh by the folks in your backyard kevin talk about that game and what what has uh, what was the key to that big result against a very good New England team? The rain, the conditions were harsh. It was raining really, really, really hard for majority of that game. Yuan Vinegas finally scored for Montreal. Yes, it was a deflection, but the ball would have been on target anyways, and it became instead of a direct shot, it became a lob shot to the far post, and Vinegas hoping his Montreal account. Drogba, same situation. He won a free kick because of his reputation, maybe. Because of his star power, maybe. But still, got the shot on target, was deflected by Kellen Rowe. And Montreal took a 2-0 lead. Then, uh, Donadal. What a bad two-minute stretch he did have. First, get a yellow card for a very harsh tackle. Then, yes, the, the rain didn't help. The fact that the pitch was very slippery didn't help. But he slides in for a tackle when Andrew Farrell's already on the ground with the ball close to him. A unnecessary two-feet tackle, two-foot tackle, whatever, and cleats up. Automatic red card. Montreal still managed to score a goal because of... Oh, go ahead, Wade. Yeah, I was going to say uh, the score effect came into play at that point. Donadell is an interesting character to me, Kevin. Uh, he can be Jekyll and Hyde. He actually reminds me of... of Montreal is at least alleged Montreal's GM right now. That's a good comparison. If, yeah, they kind of even look alike. Like if you True. think back in the day, like it's a, it's an interesting one. But but he is a player that that is key for them when he's on, but can can be also key for them when he's off, and it's in the different opposite way, right? And it can happen in a five minute span. Like this, the you can see the best Donadell. And five minutes later, you can see the worst on Adele. Yes, there's an element of chance and luck and all that involved, but you cannot put yourself in a position like this when now he has a reputation. He's really looked after by the referees now because, let's face it, in French, there's a play on word, play of words with his name. It's Yellow Dell. So uh, uh, Yellow Dell has become known now in the league for getting yellow cards and which lead to red cards and more focus being put on him. And we saw that. It's a great thing, though, after you saw Drogba's vision. A couple of times in the game, you saw Drogba do through pass, through ball passes to teammates 
that you're just wondering how he sees the run because he's basically is back to the play. He st- he anticipates the run, puts the ball in per- perfect position, which led to the goal of Dilly Duca at the 78th minute, which it's a clearance by Evan Bush. Like it's a, a, a goal kick. He kicks the ball. Drogba chests it, but in the right position, anticipates Dilly Duca's run, puts the ball one shot scores and that goal was created entirely by Drogba and it's mind-boggling I've never seen this type of direct hold of play have that much of a result quickly in MLS win and I think that's the one thing a lot of teams are missing that pure hold up type of striker in MLS yeah certainly a striker with Drogba's nose for goal and talent as well is it's something that's kind of rare in MLS as we talked about before it's Montreal is a completely different team with him in there and with the, with him healthy and I would say that that probably is their key to the season is keeping you know an old body healthy right um because if he can then just like Toronto and we'll talk about Toronto in a minute you have a game breaker that a lot of MLS teams don't have when you have a game breaker you can win in the playoffs and when I say win in the playoffs I don't mean a game here and there I mean win the playoffs because that's the key having an ability to score out of the blue to score from a set piece to to create something on your own is something that is the x factor for a lot of teams in that playoff which is why Montreal and as I will say in a minute I believe Toronto are dangerous teams to face in one-offs because you just don't know. You may be better than them. You may have had a better season than them, but it only takes one minute of madness, and it's all done. And I'll include the Laurent Simard as a game-breaker for Montreal, which is the same for Toronto. They have Bradley and Juvenko. Montreal's got Simard. Simard saved the goal on the line, clear off with his head just because of great instinct of positioning. He knew he had to be there to support the goalkeeper with a cross being in the way it was, and it was at the right place at the right time. And Laurent Simard, as much as Montreal did farewell when he was suspended and international duties, now that he's back, you see his worth and how how much of a notch above he is from all the other defenders in the league. Yeah, no, certainly a great player that uh, that hopefully Montreal can keep for for next year as well. Um, let's move to Toronto and uh, talk about TFC's three one victory over the Colorado Rapids. Now the cynic will say it was the Colorado Rapids, but then again, a lot of those cynics were saying, "Oh, I don't know, Colorado might be better than TFC because the West and all that heading into that game." But then the first half rolled out when the conditions were still human because they turned they turned terrible in the second half to the point that it was impossible to do anything out there when they were still regular conditions it was just a dominant performance by tfc and a very quick process a dominant performance by javinko to get that three goal lead gave one back up because that's tfc's way and it's just going to be tfc's way the rest of the year that's face facts they were missing uh kentari as well by suspension he had one of those after the fact suspensions which are beginning to drive me insane but um at any rate I, it was just exactly the type of result and pre- a predictable result to me that tells me why CFC has always been safe to get into the playoffs this year and why we've belabored that point all year, Kevin. No, absolutely. And I include Montreal in that discussion because if you're looking at the standings right now, 40 points for TFC, <coughs> sorry, and uh, 29 games played. Montreal's got two games in hand, four points behind, 36. There's not a big drop-off. Orlando's one point behind but three games played more. And that famous points per game that we use all year to measure team against each other because of the difference of game played towards one another. Toronto 1.38, Montreal 1.33. Virtually, almost, arguably equal when you're talking about the discussion over a long period of time. 
uh, that battle for fourth or fifth, maybe, I don't know, because DC is struggling, like you were saying earlier. Yeah, I think I said that off air. I just realized that are listening. But yeah, D- DC United, uh, I remember having a conversation on Twitter uh, with our friend Duncan Fletcher about uh, TFC needing to look up towards DC United rather than down. And Duncan, with all, due, with all due respect, if you're listening, Duncan, dismissed me outright at the time and said that, quote unquote, that was adorable. Well, now it doesn't look so adorable. And the reason I was said that at the time is because you never know how, when teams are going to fall off the cliff in MLS. It happens all the time. It's happened more often than not in Toronto, which is why people are rightfully cynical here. And why people aren't, you know, ready ready to accept anything until that magic number is zero for TFC. By the way, the magic number is eight now for TFC. It's twelve for Montreal. If you you want to continue that, um, until that's done, people are going to consider the worst ca- case is going to happen here. And TFC has earned that over eight spectacularly terrible years. So I get it. But at any rate, um, let's talk real briefly. We we'll end it with that, and then we'll do a quick uh, wrap up the NASL. Like I said, the New York Cosmos game against Ottawa Fury tonight. If you're if you're not doing anything else, uh, I'd suggest getting on TSN Go and watching that game because it's going to be a vital game in that in the race for first there. But what is – I think we've talked about what a successful season for Montreal is, and I think making the playoffs is a successful season for Montreal. But what, in your mind, Kevin, as an outsider, would a successful season for TFC mean? Uh, you asked me that question for Montreal, I think, two weeks ago, and I answered it was hosting a playoff game. I think Toronto – cannot satisfy themselves and now I'm going to be accused of being maybe Toronto focused again for a Montrealer but what I mean is with the amount of money that they did invest in a club your expectation have to grow a little bit more and hosting a playoff game I think doesn't just cut it and I think brand recognition across the world is not something that can be recognized as a success on a sporting level so that being said Toronto needs to win a playoff game I think that's that's a level of success just to win a playoff game outright. You mean win a playoff series? Then is what you're saying? Yeah, a well, playoff series if they uh, host a two game series or at least win that play in game if they do that play in the, if they do play in that first round. That was very North American of me. Win a playoff tie. Um, no. Um, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look. I, I said this on Twitter this morning. To me, a TFC successful season is, is 50 points, which I know people would look at and go 10 points. Out, and then you look at the schedule, though. I think they need to get to 50 points and they need to, to make the Eastern final. And a lot of people will say that's impossible. But to me, that's what success is. Making the playoffs, even hosting a, a single playoff game, that's a baseline. That's a bare minimum of what I would expect of this season. I wouldn't call it a failure, but I wouldn't call it a success either. If they fail to host a playoff game, failure. That's my bottom line. As much as I've been positive about TFC all year, that doesn't mean that I don't hold them to a high standard. I just believe that you kind of sort of look at the whole picture and evaluate at the end rather than, you know, have this up and down game by game reaction that that is an understandable one, but that I try to avoid having on a day to day basis. That is my baseline for success is making the Eastern final, though, folks. And um, uh, just to quickly, Dwayne, the women Charles playing lately, I almost have to include Montreal in that same same discussion. Maybe not the Eastern Conference Final, maybe the semi, but what I mean is with big money, with big investment, accountability has to be there too. And as much as in Toronto, as in Montreal, with the amount of money invested in those players, well, success needs to happen. Otherwise, you're just going to be a, a, another team that invested money for nothing. You need to, those DPs need, you need to bring value to a team and the value at the end of everything is valued by result and success and usually it's winning. So they need to win. 
And the team that has had a lot of value this year, this is a segue, is Ottawa, as we've said many times before. And they do play the New York Cosmos tonight. We uh, we said the score last week, I think. Too. They beat Fort Lauderdale 2-0. Uh, Edmonton beat Indy 2-0. There's your NASL, NCAA, NASL scores for the week. Um, quickly on the standings, and we are going to focus on the FC Edmonton uh, on Monday or maybe Thursday next week. So we'll see how that works, but we will do that for a higher focus in there. But let's quickly go through the standings to wrap the Canadian review up today. Ottawa does lead the um, fall season, 28 points there. If they win the fall season, that will give them an automatic home playoff game. And that is something that is very valuable, of course, uh, to be able to have a game in Ottawa to, to take advantage of the colder weather and to, although if they're playing Minnesota or something, I don't know. Yeah. How much of an advantage it would be? It could be a Florida uh, team or a team from uh, Carolina. I, mean, no, I, believe, yeah. I believe if they're playing Minnesota, that it'd be a southern road trip for Minnesota. But at any rate, <laughs> have to look that up to be sure. Uh, Minnesota is at 26 points, so two points back right now. The Cosmos are five points back right now. So a win over the Cosmos tonight would absolutely put a nail in, I think, the Cosmos catching them for the fall title. FC Edmonton is actually in fourth in the fall season right now with 27 points. Uh so they're, uh, d- d- uh, they're quite a bit behind, but they certainly have had a great season there. The overall, Cosmos still lead it with 43. They, of course, won the spring season, so they have the buy into that outright. Minnesota sits on 40, Ottawa 39. Big drop down there to Tampa Bay, six points there. And then only two points behind is uh, Edmonton, who are tied with Fort Lauderdale. So the Eddies are still in it. There still is a chance for two Canadian teams to make the NASL playoffs and we continue to hope that that happens because we have a lot to say about them um i just had a flashback from exactly one year ago where we exactly said the exact same thing except ottawa was a little lower down the table but both teams were at the cusp edmonton you're there again this time why don't you cross that red line yeah, it'd be nice to see Edmonton get some success. They have uh, their fans there uh, that have stuck around from the beginning. Certainly uh, can't be accused of a lack of loyalty. So uh, we do hope for them. Um, we're going to wrap up the uh, USL Canadian teams in our next USL radio. So make sure to look for that. Uh, we will, as the stretch run continues, Kevin and I will always look at our schedule and see if we can get special editions out as we get tighter into the tightest time of the year. Squeaky bum time, as they call it. But until... All of that plays out. Kevin, say goodbye. Tonight again, Ottawa, Cosmos, great important games in MLS. Wednesday, Montreal, Chicago, at Stad Saputo. Look for an After the Works post-game show after that game. And until then, have a great soccer.